Chapter 7 of The Goddess a Demon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Clare. The Goddess a Demon by Richard Marsh. Chapter 7 The Suspicions of Mr. Morley. The newcomer was a man apparently about sixty years of age short and gray-haired with old-fashioned neatly trimmed side whiskers he was dressed entirely in black even to black kid gloves his hat he carried in his hand he seemed to be in a state of considerable agitation and stood looking from one to the other of us as if he was endeavoring to make up his mind as to who or what we were hume recognized him at once he went striding towards him from across the room morley you had better come with me it is to me you wish to speak, not to this gentleman. I interposed. He asked for Mr. Ferguson. I am Mr. Ferguson. It therefore seems that it is to me that he wishes to speak. Don't talk nonsense. You're a stranger to him. I tell you, it's a mistake. You know me, Morley, don't you? The old gentleman looked at Hume with eyes which seemed half-dazed. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. You're Dr. Hume. I know you very well. You hear? Stand aside. I shall not stand aside. And Hume, take my strong advice and don't attempt to interfere with any visitor of mine. You hear me? I hear, but I shall not pay the least attention. Morley, I forbid you to say a word in this gentleman's presence. You have no right to speak of your master's private affairs and the presence of strangers. I am his friend. I will safeguard his interests. I tell you that by not keeping a strict watch over your tongue, you may do him a serious mischief. Very good, Hume. Evidently, to remonstrate with you is to waste one's breath. I will try another way. Taking him up in my arms, I carried him towards the door. I am going to put you outside my room, and before you attempt to enter it again, I trust that you will have learnt at least the rudiments of decent manners. Out you go. And out he went. Depositing him on the floor in the corridor, I locked the door in his face. He banged against it with his fist. You shall pay for this. Very good. Render your account. I will render you such monies as are due. Morley, I forbid you to say a word to him at your peril. I turned to my visitor. I beg, Mr. Morley, that you will take a seat. Pray do not heed our excitable friend. Just now he can hardly be said to have the full control of his senses, as you yourself perceive. As you remarked, I am John Ferguson, the friend of Mr. Edwin Lawrence. You, I take it, are in the service of his brother, Mr. Philip. Mr. Morley's calmness had not perceptibly increased. He seemed impressed by the way in which I had handled Hume, and also disposed to be influenced by the doctor's express commands to hold his tongue. He was like a man between two stools. Yes, sir, I'm in Mr. Phillips' service, but I think that perhaps the doctor's right, and I oughtn't to talk about my master. Possibly, Mr. Morley, but you have spoken of him already. You have accused him of murder. No, sir, not that. Just now, in the presence of Dr. Hume and myself, you expressed your belief that Mr. Philip had killed Mr. Edwin. Oh, no, sir, not that. I didn't go so far as that. I didn't mean it if I did. What you meant is another question. That is what you said. I may tell you, Mr. Morley, that I am not of your opinion. I do not believe that Mr. Philip had any hand whatever in his brother's death. No, sir, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Very soon you, you will receive from his own lips an explanation which will blow all your doubts away. I believe that he will clear the whole thing up at once, if you will take me to him. Mr. Morley's jaw dropped open. Take you to him? But that, that's just it. 
I don't know where he is. Isn't he here? He looked about him as if he half expected to discover Philip Lawrence hidden behind a curtain or under a table. Do I understand you to mean that your master has not returned all night? Yes, sir, that's what I do mean, and that's what makes me so concerned. He's a gentleman of regular habits, most regular, and I've never known him to stop out all night before without giving me warning. I felt that, in that case, he must indeed be a gentleman of most regular habits. Where does Mr. Philip Lawrence live? In Arlington Street, that's his London address. When did he go out? After midnight, in a towering rage. In a towering rage? With whom? Well, sir, Mr. Morley came closer. He cast an anxious glance around him. He dropped his voice. I'm not a talkative man, not as a rule, as anyone who knows me will tell you. But I've got something to say which I feel I must say to someone, though you heard what Dr. Hume said. But perhaps, sir, as you're Mr. Edwin's friend, you're Mr. Phillips, too. Mr. Morley, in making any statement to me, you will at least be as safe as if you made it to Dr. Hume. I tell you that I believe your master's hands are clean. To prove it, we shall have to establish the truth. If you have anything to say which will go to make the darkness light, say it, like a man, before it's too late. You won't use it to do him a disservice? And you won't say that I talked about him in a way that I didn't ought to have done? I will do neither of those things. Well, sir, I like your looks. You look like the kind of gentleman one can trust, and I flatter myself I'm a pretty good judge of faces. And the way you handled Dr. Hume was, he coughed behind his hand, queer. I'll make a clean breast of it. The old gentleman's hesitation had its amusing side. I was conscious that something very unusual had happened to throw him, to such a degree, off his mental balance. That's right, Mr. Morley. We shall soon arrive at an understanding if we are frank with one another. Sit down. He sat down on the edge of the chair. His hat he placed beside him on the floor, crown uppermost. Well, sir, with his gloved hands he stroked his chin, still regarding me with an air of dubitation. I'm afraid that Mr. Edwin was not all that he ought to have been. I'm afraid that something similar could be said of all of us. It was in money matters chiefly, though there were other things as well, but in money matters he was most irregular, quite unlike Mr. Philip. Mr. Philip has let him have thousands and thousands of pounds. What he did with it was a mystery. They quarreled dreadfully. Brothers will quarrel, Mr. Morley. It's a way they have. The old gentleman shook his head. Ah, but the fault was Mr. Edwin's. Mr. Philip is hot-tempered, but Mr. Edwin was always in the wrong. Leaning towards me, Mr. Morley whispered, under cover of his hand, Once Mr. Philip thrashed him, broke his stick across his back, he did, and Mr. Edwin must have been black and blue with bruises. Mr. Philip's very quick when he's roused, and he's a better man than his brother. He was very sorry afterwards for what he had done. Dear me, how sorry he was. He went to his brother, and he asked him to forgive him, and Mr. Edwin did forgive him. I expect he got a good deal more money out of Mr. Philip, or he never would have done. He was unforgiving enough, was Mr. Edwin, unless it paid him to be otherwise. He would wait for years for a chance of returning, with good thumping interest, what he thought was an injury. It was the only thing he ever did return with interest. The expression on Mr. Morley's face, as he said this, did not suggest the charity which forgiveth all things. So it went on, for soon they were quarreling again, but lately it has been worse than ever. Looking anxiously about him, Mr. Morley again resorted to the cover of his hand. There's been some trouble about some bills. Mr. Edwin's been putting some bills on the market which weren't quite what they ought to have been and getting money on them. I'm afraid he's been making an unauthorized use of his brother's name. 
Are you sure of what you say? At this point, it is for me to follow Dr. Hume's lead and warn you to be careful. Oh, I'm sure enough. I've too much reason to be sure. Forgery, sir, that's what it was, rank forgery. In his rage, Mr. Philip let it all come out, so that there's plenty of others who know of it, or I shouldn't be speaking of it now. Mr. Philip has gone on dreadfully since he found it out. I've sometimes wondered if he was going mad. Yesterday afternoon, Mr. Edwin came to Arlington Street. There was an awful scene. I went into them. I didn't think they'd come to blows in front of me. Then Mr. Philip began at me. Morley, he said, shouting so that you might have heard him in Pall Mall. My brother's a thief. That's no news. You've heard it before. But he's been robbing me again on fresh lines, and he'll keep on robbing me until, in spite of all I can do, he'll succeed in dragging an honored name through the mire. But before then, Marley, I'll kill him, for the cur he is. If he's found with his neck broken, you'll know who did it. Then he turned on Mr. Edwin. So you've had fair warning, and now, you blackguard, out of this house you go before I throw you through the window. And out he did go, and it was about time he did, or I believe Mr. Philip would have thrown him out through the window. Mr. Morley passed a red silk handkerchief carefully to and fro across his brow. I thought of how Edwin Lawrence and I had spent the previous evening. He certainly had not worn his troubles where others could see them. He was generally something of a cynic, but I did not remember to have seen him more genially inclined or apparently in a more careless mood. The man, as limbed by Dr. Morley, was to me an entire revelation. The old gentleman went on. In the evening, about nine o'clock, someone came to see Mr. Philip. He was a big, portly party, very well dressed, with shiny black hair, and I noticed that his fingers were covered with rings. I set him down for a Jew. He wouldn't give his name, and when I told him Mr. Philip wasn't in, he said he'd call again. He came again about eleven. Mr. Philip hadn't returned, so he gave me a letter and told me to give it to him directly he did. It was just past twelve when Mr. Philip did come in. I gave him the letter, though I was in two minds as to whether I hadn't better keep it till the morning, for I smelt that there was mischief in it, and now I wish I had, for directly he opened it, Mr. Philip broke into the worst rage I ever saw him in. He was like a man stark mad. That brother of mine, he screamed, is a more infernal scoundrel even than I thought he was. I'll kill him if I can find him. And he tore out of the house before I could move to stop him. Again, the red silk handkerchief went across Mr. Morley's forehead. The mere recollection of the scene bedewed his brow with sweat. Well, sir, I sat up for him all night, and my wife, she sat up to keep me company, but he never came home. We listened to every sound, and we jumped at every footstep that came near the house, thinking it was him. Emma, that's Mrs. Morley, kept on sniveling pretty nearly all the time. Joe, she kept on saying. My name's Joe, sir, leastways, Joseph. Joe, do you think that Mr. Phillips killing him? To be asked such a question made one feel like killing her, for it was the very question which I kept putting to myself all through the night. My feeling was that Mr. Philip had been drinking more than he was used to, and that letter found him in an evil mood. And when he's in one of his rages, he's not the good, kind-hearted, fair-minded gentleman he generally is. He's more like a raving lunatic, although I say it, and capable of everything. When morning came, and there was still no signs of him, I couldn't stand it any longer. So I came round to see Mr. Edwin, and directly I came, they told me he had been murdered. Murdered! Murdered! He repeated the word again and again, as if he found a ghastly pleasure in the repetition. I paced up and down, pondering the tale as he had told it. I perceived how, from his point of view, the case looked black against his master. 
Yet still I felt persuaded that there was something in the whole business which was beyond our comprehension, and that, when we learned what that something was, it would be conclusively shown that the deductions which he drew were erroneous. Do you think that Mr. Philip killed him? No, Morley, I do not. But I think that, if you get a chance, you'll hang him. Hang Mr. Philip? Me? No, not. Not if he'd killed Mr. Edwin a dozen times over. On the contrary, if you don't take care, you'll hang him, although he hasn't killed Mr. Edwin even once. If they were to put you into the witness box and you were to tell that tale, your evidence would need but the slenderest corroboration to send him to the gallows right away. Mr. Ferguson! Morley, you must know that you had not the slightest right to tell me what you have done. Fortunately, your information has been imparted to a person who will not make an injurious use of it. But if you take my serious advice, you will not breathe a word of it to any other living soul. You will go straight home, and you will say nothing to anyone, and you will know nothing either. But where is Mr. Phillips, sir? What business is that of yours? I take it that he is free to regulate his movements without consulting you. Whatever concern you may feel, you will not allow a hint of it to escape you. That is, if you have your master's interests at heart. There came an imperious rapping at the door. Who's there? It's I, Inspector Simons, of the Criminal Investigation Department. Be so good, Mr. Ferguson, as to open the door. There, Morley, is someone who will be glad to listen to what you have been telling me. But if you have the least regard for your master's reputation, not to mention his neck, you will see him further first. You're not forced to speak a word unless you choose. I shouldn't choose, and here's something to help you not to choose. I handed him a wine glass full of brandy. He swallowed it so fast that it set him coughing. Then came the knocking at the door again. Open this door, Mr. Ferguson. With pleasure. You seem to be in a hurry, sir. Possibly you are not aware that these rooms are private, and that it is not necessary that I should open every person who takes it into his head to knock. As, opening the door, I planted myself in the doorway, Mr. Simons looked at me as if surprised. He was not a little man, but I was a good head taller, and I fancy that he had not expected to find me quite so big, or he would have hustled past me. As it was, he refrained. I am informed that you have someone in your rooms who can give important information in the matter of Mr. Edwin Lawrence's murder. Indeed, who is your informant? I am. You will find, Ferguson, that you cannot play with edged tools. Hume was the speaker. So, pray enter, Mr. Simons. Hume tried to pass in after him. If you don't mind, I would rather not. I think that edged tools are better outside. I shut the door in his face, he taking my cavalier treatment of him more meekly than he was wont to do. Perhaps he remembered. Mr. Simons immediately assailed the lamb-like Mr. Morley. I believe that your name is Morley and that you are in the service of Mr. Philip Lawrence. What information have you to give with reference to the murder of his brother? Mr. Morley has no information to give. It was I who answered. Let Mr. Morley speak for himself. Permit me to repeat, Mr. Simons, that these premises are private, and before I allow you on these premises to bully a guest of mine, I must request you to show me the authority on which you are acting. Inspector Simons looked me up and down as if he did not know exactly what to make of me. He seemed to hesitate. End of chapter 7